Welcome home. You're listening to the Life Center Rainier Weekend Message. Well, it is awesome to be together. Again, if you're new, my name is Jesse, and, and we are really thankful and honored to be a part of all that Jesus is doing here at Life Center Rainier. Are you excited to be a part? Come on, give yourselves a round of applause, huh? Some of you get really like that. Absolutely. I'll applaud myself. Yeah. Well, uh, we are kicking off a new collection of conversations, a new sermon series, and it's, it's called The Invitation. And uh, I really believe that this will be significant for us as a church. I really believe that it will be powerful and personal to each and every one of us. And so as we lean in with understanding and anticipation, I believe that it's so essential that we understand the gift of an invitation. I remember the first time I ever got an invitation, I was a grown man of 11 years old in fifth grade. Fifth grade was great for me. It was the best three years of my life. <laughs> Slight exaggeration. Not much of an exaggeration. But I, I remember getting an invitation, and the invitation came by way of a note. Do you remember these days? It, it said on it, it says, will you go with me? How many of you, back in the day, we didn't date. We would go with someone. Who are you going with? Do you guys remember this? <laughs> and and, and it, it said, will you go with me? Check yes or no. And, and it came from this girl, and her name was Laura, and she was this Latina. And I first time I went up to her in response, I said, hey, girl, I'll go with you. And, she's, and I said, my name is Jesse. She said, hola, Jesse. <laughs> and my heart melted. <laughs> and let me just say, Laura, I'm taken now, but you had a chance, girl. You blew it. <laughs> but I'm so emphatically passionate about understanding the significance of an invitation. You know, I get invited into different elements and different opportunities to engage with people in their life. Three of my most favorite invitations, I would say significant invitations, are what I'll call hatch, match, and dispatch. Journey with me. Hatch, birth, new life. My gosh, how many of you love a baby? Everybody loves a baby. I'm not allowed to work in the nursery because I'll kiss your baby. I cannot, yeah, I just, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Uh, but, but Hatch, you know, the significance of being invited into that world uh, of understanding how we can bless and be a, be a gift to mama and daddy and this new life. What a journey. Hatch, match, marriage, the union of, of two lives coming together, one man, one woman in holy matrimony. What a gift to be able to honor, to perform ceremonies or just even attend weddings. It's such a gift. Right? And dispatch, you know, the, the saints sending of going home to be in the physical presence of Jesus. This is an honor for us to be welcomed. Because if you get an invitation to these things, you've had a significant impact on a person's life. And so when we understand the magnitude of an invitation, we'll start to steward it to a greater degree. But in this great life, we, we come to an understanding that God is the giver, and we are the recipients, and our only response is to that, which I'll say is to RSVP. Title of my message today, if you're taking notes, is follow me, RSVP, which means respond, s'il vous plaît. <laughs> Y'all didn't know I knew French, huh? I watched Ratatouille. Wee <laughs> wee. <Oui, oui. laughs> 
And so God, he's the initiator, he's the creator, he's the giver of life, and life abundantly, the Bible talks about. Matter of fact, it's, there's a great verse, if you're a football fan, uh, you're probably not here, and so we're going to pray for them. <laughs> but if you're wise and you have a DVR, God bless you. But there's a verse that you may have seen from a time to time in the, in the stands, or maybe you know who Tim Tebow is, and this verse is John 3.16. And it reads as this, that God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's a very common portion of scripture in the book of John. But it goes on. It's just not John 3, 16, but there's a verse right after it. It's 17. Go figure, right? And it reads as this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but he say, but to save the world through him. And so let me say it like this. God is the giver of life and every good thing. God is the giver of Jesus that saves us from ourselves, from our sin, and from Satan's snare. And he gives us this life because he's good. And his invitation to come into this life, to live with him, is the best invitation we could ever receive. And let me say it really clearly. He is bidding you come. But for us to understand the significance of this invitation, we have to understand the depth of what this meant in the day. Now, there's a lot of... Uh, cultural references and context today, and I'm going to go to an altitude that I hope that will help us, but it may seem a little heady and lofty, but I, I assure you it all makes sense when we come to the close of today. But in this life, in the biblical context, uh, names meant something. Biblical names were significance, the moniker, the title, the way that they would name their people was in, in, in a great to do of what it meant for them to be the person that they were called to be. I named all my kids after myself. No, two of them have my middle name. My middle name's Ray Ray. It's not, it's Raymond, but I wish it was Ray Ray. <laughs> so I named, we named our daughter Gracie Ray, and, and then the middle child, Jace Jeremiah. I don't, he didn't get my name, but, and then the third one, we named Judah Raymond, and my wife initially was like, what do you think about Jesse? I go, don't you dare speak that over that boy. <laughs> but he's so sweet. He's so smart. Matter of fact, he's going to help us share one of the scriptures today. I'm going to invite you to check out the screens here as he shares the verse here, if you will. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Okay, now just leave that there for just a second. Let me try to see Huh? <laughs> he's pretty cute. He gets that part from his mama. And, and so my son, he's, he's in school, and every week they're memorizing a different Bible verse. Well, this week he memorized his Bible verse, but he also memorized his brother's Bible verse. And we were like, oh, my gosh. And, and, and so he was, he was ready to share, and, and I was pretty excited about it, so I just thought I'd share it with all of you. Aren't you so glad? And, and in this life, when we understand the significance of our name, you know, the Bible talks about Jesus changing people's names, giving God, giving different people different names, meaning different things. And there's a lot of names in this life that we will live under. One of my favorite is husband, 
father. One of the most honoring labels I will be given in this life is pastor or shepherd. But there's no greater title or, or label that I will ever live under in this life than that of what I will say today of great significance is the title of disciple. Disciple. And so as we lean in today, I want to give great context. Matthew 4, 18, verse 20 says this. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter. So there's Peter. He was previously known as Simon. Jesus changed his name. And his brother, Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, and for they were fishermen. Jesus' words now, come, follow me. Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Other translations say, I will make you fishers of men. In the original uh, Greek wording, it's inferred. It says, I will make you become a fisher of men. And so when we understand what this means, because if you've been in church or around the Bible for any length of time, I'm sure you've heard this portion of scripture, follow me. But what are we truly following? What are we responding to? And it's this, it's an uncommon life. It's not a simple, seemingly less significant. It's one of great magnitude and honor. And so when we understand this response to the call to come and follow him, it requires our depth of understanding. And let me say it like this. We have to remember that Jesus himself was a Jewish rabbi. Why does that matter? Well, if you read the scripture like I did in Matthew chapter 4, it says that Jesus came to the Sea of Galilee and he saw these guys and he says, come and follow me. And they left everything they had and they went and followed him right then. Who would leave their stuff, their family business, who in the world would just walk away from everything they understood, everything they had to just go follow this guy? And mind you, the disciples at this point, they weren't disciples. They were previously passed over, picked through, and dismissed as unqualified. Let me give you a little bit more context. So Jesus, as a Jewish rabbi, this rabbinical uh, understanding of the culture in this day, they had a lot of different um, traditions. One of the great traditions they had is their way of education. They had an educational system that, that ultimately gave them a depth of understanding from a young age, people would give themselves to learning. This was kind of like our context today in similar degrees where when you turn five years old, you go to kindergarten, right? Or for some of us, it took me a while. Just kidding. But we have to know that there was this uh, institution that was established in the culture that helped create understanding. And so when you became a certain age, about five years old, you would go and you would give yourself to this educational process and you would start to memorize the scriptures. You would memorize the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. And my son memorized two scriptures this week and we are freaking out. 
But these guys, these young people, would memorize five books of the Bible. They would memorize the whole Torah. And at this stage in the process of the educational system, this level was called Bet Sefer. Bet Sefer was from, you know, uh, the ages of about five, you got to that point and you engaged with this educational process and learning and then you started to give yourself to the memorization of all the books of the, 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 the law, the books of Moses, the first five books. And, and as they learned these things, they memorized the Torah and at the end of this time, they would start to learn whether or not they were astute enough, esteemed enough, smart enough to go to the next level or did they have to make a distinction and a decision to go into the family business? And so parents, ultimately their retirement plan was that their kids would come into the family business and they would all stay together and the younger children would grow up to start to lead the way. And so when somebody got selected to go and follow a rabbi, it was a great big deal. And so Bet Sefer was the first stage. This went on from about six to 10 years old. And if you, you made the cut, you would continue to go on. Bet Sefer is, is, is basically, it means this, the house of the book. We would go to synagogues. We would go to places to learn. There were local places that every different context and community would have to learn. And then they would go to the next stage if they made the cut. And it was called Bet Talmud. Bet Talmud was from the ages of about 11 to 14, and Bet Talmud means the house of learning. And they intentionally made this time in this process a little more difficult. They were trying to find the best of the best. They were trying to find the elite and those that would give themselves to a greater degree of diligence and intentionality to study. And then if you were still esteemed and still willing and able to, to be somebody that was learned to this degree and magnitude, you would that, at that point, you would get the chance or the opportunity to go apply to one of the rabbis to be a disciple. And this process at this point was called Bet Midrash. This was from about 15 on. And so a rabbi was known by his yoke. A yoke was his teaching. And so a rabbi's teaching, it was known that that rabbi knew the, the, the books of the law and Moses. And, and so at this last stage, the, 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 the young people trying to get accepted by a rabbi had to know the rest of the Old Testament from Genesis to the Italian prophet Malachi or Malachi. Sorry, sorry about that. And so they would have to memorize all of these books and they would go and apply to different rabbis and it says that his yoke was under this guy's. He saw it this way and he lived it out this way. And this rabbi saw it this way and he lived it out this way. And so they would know there were different rabbis with different yokes and the yoke was their teaching. And so as a, a young person applying to follow a different rabbi, you would approach this rabbi and you would apply and fill out an application for him I don't know, I'm just kidding. Are you awake this morning? <laughs> and so they would apply to follow a rabbi and the rabbi would take time and he would ask them questions and say, what do you think about Leviticus 21? I don't know why I just talk like that, but it just seems a little more smart and uppity. What would you say about the books of the law and Moses. I just like to say Moses. <laughs> Moses. <laughs> Sorry, got to get that one out too. 
And, and so people would apply to follow a different rabbi. And as the rabbi would engage, they would get a level of understanding of the astuteness of this student and whether or not they were the best of the best of the best. Remember Top Gun, Top Gun reference, the best of the best of the best, train the rest. And so if they were accepted to follow this rabbi, they would surround them, them, they would speak over them, and they'd say words like this, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And at the time and the place, the roads weren't paved and there weren't cars and people would have to walk on these roads and they're saying to be covered in the dust of your rabbi is to be so close to the learning and the understanding and the leading of your rabbi that you would walk in his wake and that the hem of your garment would be covered in the dust of his wake. And so the understanding of what we're committing to in response to this invitation under this new moniker, this new title of disciple, it's far more significant than we would understand. See, this yoke, the yoke of a rabbi, different rabbis would have different points of view and their process to filter out those that would not make the cut is really what what eliminates a lot of people today. I think we miss it, the understanding of what it means to come and follow Jesus because Jesus, as he called the disciples, he did not send in an application. He did not do interviews. He said, come and follow me. And it wasn't for the elite or the elect. It wasn't for the prestige. It was for the passer-by. It was the one that's been passed over. It's the one that's been, feels like they've been overlooked. Anybody ever felt like that in their life? And so Jesus is so intentional, saying, we're a bunch of nobodies who encountered somebody that's going to tell everybody about the goodness of the invitation and the significance in which it means for us to go on a journey with Jesus. And so as we walk with him, we come to this place to understand what is really our new standings in what we've received, this new title, disciple. And they said, if you're, you're a disciple of a rabbi, you're going to take that teaching, you're going to know what the rabbi knows, and you're going to do what the rabbi does. And there's three quick things that I want to give us today under your new label under your new name as a disciple. And these things quickly will help us quantify and I'll bring this whole thing back together and we'll, we'll lend this plane. But the first thing, significance, in which we get to receive in this response is number one, we get a new identity. A new identity. The new identity we were given in Jesus is the only identity in this life that we will ever receive and not achieve. I want to say that really quickly again. The identity that we get in Jesus is the only identity we will ever receive and not achieve. 
See, a lot of us, even if you get to the point where you'll apply for a job and you'll get the job and you still haven't even done the job yet, you're like, hey, how are you doing? Yeah, great. What do you do? Well, I just got a new job. What's the new job? Oh, an engineer. Wow. Have you done engineering before? No. Fresh out of college, first time job. I haven't even worked a day yet. Start next Tuesday. Excellent. So cool. Even though that person had yet to produce and do the work of an engineer, he still had to have the education, the understanding. He still had to submit an application. So there is works and efforts and deeds in association to the label he now has as an engineer. But for us to respond to the come and follow me to become a disciple of Jesus as a new identity, this is the only identity you will ever receive and not achieve. It's by his grace that he gives these things. And here's the beauty about God's grace. God's grace is opposed to one thing. It's opposed to your earning. It's not opposed to your effort. So when we understand this significant invitation that we've been afforded to be invited into this uncommon life that God has called us, he's deemed us qualified. He now says, you are a new creature, a new creation. Second Corinthians 5.17 says it like this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. So you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. This identity is one that you have not achieved, but have received. So as you receive this identity, we receive the responsibility. And the responsibility of his invitation is one of this. We get a new life, new purpose, and come under new management. And so as he leads and directs our lives as a disciple, we know that the yoke, the teaching of Jesus we start to understand that this isn't about my achieving. This is about Jesus' generosity, all that he's given, that he so loved the world that he gave, that he didn't come to condemn, but he came to save. And his plan is purposed in the people that would say yes to the call to come. And as you are new, old, all the old is past. Old things are past. All things are new. So no matter what you did or didn't do previous to this point of responding to the invitation to come and be a disciple of Jesus, it's at the depths of the sea. It's as far as the east is from the west. No matter what you do, you can't outrun the grip of grace. God knows that no matter how far you go, you can't outrun the reach of God. Your identity is secure and firm in him. If my child were to walk away from me and say, I don't need to live here. I don't want to be connected here. I'll be like, praise the Lord, I ain't got to pay these bills. Can't pay my telephone bills. Can't pay my medical bills. Can't pay my automo. It would never not make him my son. It would never make them not my daughter. This is who they are. And just because they don't abide and believe what they've been given doesn't mean it changes their identity. Second point, number two, is this. Not just a new identity, but a new position. A new position. This is the structure of God. 
This is the way that he's created it. He has now placed us in a different place in order in this process. Let me say it like this. When I first got married, we got a dog. We got a puppy. We got a fur baby. Anybody got a fur baby? You're like, oh my gosh. I like say, you, my wife would do like different noises and I would make different sounds. Be like, oh, shoo-goo-boo-goo. It's like, what am I doing? I'm a grown man. Like, but, but these sweet little animals, we love them so much. And then we had a baby and all of a sudden we had a dog, right? <laughs> Things changed. The order changed. Things will change when we abide in this belief that we are called to be a disciple of Jesus. The order of our life, the structure, things that we prioritized in our past no longer are a priority. They just start to shift. And when we understand this isn't about us in what we've done, it's just a response to all that Jesus has already done, we start to value so much more this invitation. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 says it like this. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God. Somebody say, but God. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's not about me. But as it comes to me, it's going to flow through me when I understand the magnitude of all that I've been invited into. Uh, you know, it would be one thing for me to come home in the evening and come and sit down and walk in the door. And my kids would be like, hey, daddy, hey. And I'm like, hey, what's up? And my wife's like, hey, babe, how are you? I'm like, good. And it's one thing for me to be present. It's another thing for me to participate. And in this life, as we have a new identity and a new position, he's never called us to be attenders He's never called us to be nominal, check-the-box Christians. He's called us to follow him and take the yoke of Jesus, the teaching upon him, and follow him. And this, my friends, is bigger than you and I. And this is why we need the grace of God so much. We went into the mall uh, last week, and this is how I know the grace of God is good because when we walked in that mall and I smelt that smell and I saw that Cinnabon and I said to myself, we're Cinnabons, grace of bonds all the more. Come on, Jesus. Give me strength. Because I don't just have a new identity. I don't just have a new position. I have a new assignment. And it is not to indulge in the things that I did. It's for me to say yes to Jesus and all that he's called me to do. Let me say it like this. 2 Peter 2, 21 says this. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is the example, and you must follow in his steps. New assignment. And the greatest burden that we will have in this life in following Jesus to is to understand the definition of what Jesus says his teaching is, his yoke, 
and it, he calls it easy and light, which does not mean safe or comfortable. That this is really a great big deal in understanding the difference between easy and light. Because it's not safe and it's not comfortable. And it requires a greater magnitude of reverence and understanding of what we've been invited into. And a student wants to know what the teacher knows. But a disciple wants to do what the rabbi does. And I say all this to, to bring awareness of this place that we are called to participate in his great grace. To move in this scandalous grace. Why do I call it scandalous? Because it is so crazy that God loved this world so much that he gave his very best Jesus. That he would invite us in to call us to something greater than ourselves that we could never achieve on our own. But he says it's not your acts, works, efforts, or deeds. It's by grace and grace alone. And so we have a, a new identity, we have a new position, but we have a new assignment. And I love this because the people that we're talking about in this journey was Peter and Andrew, James, John, sons of Zebedee, right? It's saying these guys, and, and I'll pick on little stinky Pete, Petey Pete. And Peter was uh, in this posse, right? And he says, come and follow me. Let me give greater magnitude of what they left. They left the family at a blink of an eye. Let me, let me also say it like this. Their motives were not pure. They had been picked over and passed over by every other rabbi to this point that if any rabbi would have seen them and deemed them worthy of responding to that invitation, they'd be like, deuces, dad, I gotta go. And so Peter... Peter's the person in that place that Jesus speaks to, but he's also the same person if you flip over 10 chapters to Matthew 14. And this portion of scripture talks about right after Jesus had done a great miracle, the feeding of the 5,000 is what it's known of. He took a couple fish sticks, a couple bags of wonder. It says that he fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children, and they didn't have birth control, so you do the math. But Jesus says that he was going to go off and be alone for a little bit. Come on, how many of your introverts? Half of you are. Jesus was too. He says, I need to go and get away. And he tells the disciples, go in the boat and head on over to the other side. I'll meet you there. Well, the disciples, being fishermen, they found themselves very familiar on the water. But then it says that they got scared because a storm came. And this tells me that this was a different kind of storm because they were very familiar with the water. And so they wouldn't have been worried, but they said they were worried. They said all of a sudden they saw something walking on the water and they said, it's a ghost. Come on, how many of you on Friday the 13th stayed away from lakes and anybody with a hockey mask? I just love the secular historians always make fun of Christians when they say they thought he was a ghost. What would you think it was? I'd be like, that's a ghost, let's go. <laughs> And it says that they, they saw him walking on the water and Peter, 
in the boat. He goes, wait, wait, wait. That's my rabbi. He says, call out to me, Jesus, to walk out to you. He says that he got out of the boat and he started to walk on the water. A student wants to know what the teacher knows, but a disciple wants to do what the rabbi does. So when he called him out on the water and he started to walk on the water, I'm like, yeah, bro, come on. In the church world, we have this lens that we've heard these things so many times and we're like, yeah, sure, Peter walked on water. Guess what happens? He fell. And then we read this in Matthew 14, where, 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 where Jesus engages again. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get on the boat and go ahead to him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Fast forward a little bit. Can we get down to the, like, verse 26-ish? And the disciples saw him walking in the lake, and they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and he cried out in fear. But immediately he said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Here's Peter. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water. Come, he said. So Peter got out onto the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. He says these words, you of little faith. How many times have you heard that? Maybe even a preacher or personally have read that and you thought, yeah, man, I'm Peter. Oh, I miss it all the time. Oh, my little faith. And he says, why did you doubt? Peter's the brother that got out of the boat. Peter didn't doubt Jesus. How many times? Peter, Peter lost his sight of Jesus. That's why he sank. Don't lose your sight of Jesus. Finger wagging goes on. It's not that Peter lost his sight of Jesus. It's not that he doubted Jesus. It's that he doubted the thing that Jesus said that greater things will you do. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world. He says signs and wonders will follow those who believe. He didn't doubt Jesus. He doubted the Jesus that's in him. He doubted the fact that he could do what the rabbi has done. And here's our problem, friends, is that we want to know what the teacher knows. But the invitation isn't to have an intellectual ascent. It's to have a practical applicable response to the invitation to do what your rabbi does. And he says, you have a new identity, you have a new position, and you have a new assignment. And this life of grace that comes to you is simply coming through you. And he will give you everything that you need. Matthew chapter 28, 16, Jesus' last words should be our first concern. And he says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. Come on, guys. We have no problem worshiping Jesus when we get in the presence of Jesus. But then it goes on, he says, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, 
All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. He's saying, will you go with me? Check the box, yes or no. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Now let me give a clear qualifying understanding of what nations is. This isn't physical land properties. This is all people groups, all creeds, all colors, all people, all people, all people. This is a gospel issue. He says, baptizing them name in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the, even to the very end of the age. This is what God is inviting us into, friends. He's calling us to something greater than ourselves. And we can't just be students that want to know what the teacher knows. We have to be disciples that will do what the rabbi has done. Because disciple means that we would make disciples that make disciples. And we would follow suit in the yoke of Jesus that is easy and light. Which means it's not condemning. He came to save the world, not to condemn the world. You don't have to memorize the Torah. You don't need to give yourself to memorization of the whole Old Testament. Though we memorize verses to serve God, to serve it in our hearts, to send us to do what God's called us to do. And the question that he poses here today is, will you go with him? Because he sent you an invitation that requires a response. R-S-V-P. And so I want to invite you, implore you to understand the significance of what it means to follow him and what you've been invited into to follow, to be a disciple. Amen? I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Here today, as you hear these words, I just believe that the Spirit's on the move. And I just believe as God engages with his people, he gives security and safety to one thing, and that's the soul of the sower, the faith of the fishermen. Their path is eternally preserved. And God is calling us to understand this invitation to a greater degree. And today as he extends his grace, to help us understand the greatest title we will get is not from our cultural surroundings. It's not from our family origin. It's from God. It's from the invitation that we have been given. And this term, follow me, isn't about the best of the best of the best anymore. It's about the nobodies who met somebody that is going to tell everybody, all people, that they too can come and receive this gift of his grace.